Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said, once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people that create these games. Well, as you guys know, I am a huge bolt-action player. I have tons of World War II models, tons of World War II terrain, and what led me to that game system way back when was a love of all of the old movies through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Um, you know, Where Eagles Dare, Guns of Navarone, Heck, I even liked Force 10 from Navarone. But I've always wanted a game to play out those scenarios, those missions, uh, those, those commando raids, the sabotage, the kidnappings, um, you know, to get the, the evil Nazi scientist and get them out to, to bring the information back to the right side. But it's never really been possible on the tabletop until now. And I am so excited. Now, over just about 12 months ago, the developer of another game that I love dearly, Test of Honor, announced that they were going to create a game for this idea. And today, the man behind this new game, O200 Hours, is here to talk with us. Of course, I'm talking about Graham Davey, the brains behind Gray for Now Games. Graham, first of all, I am so excited for this game, but also thank you for joining us on Cast Ice today. Hi, Brad. It's good to be here. So, Test of Honor, obviously huge success. Lots of people love this game. It is the samurai tabletop game, uh, skirmishy, a little bit larger than that. You know, you can have between, what, 5 and 20 models on the board, uh, a smaller board size, very successful. That has been going for years now. But you have taken that similar scale and you've shifted it to a very scenario-based World War II game that is about to drop on us, O200 Hours. How did you go from cinematic samurai to cinematic commandos? Mm, that's a, a good question. Um, I mean, I have a, I have a big big notebook full of, of ideas for different games and um, uh, and I've been knew, knew for a while that I, I wanted to broaden the horizons for the company and, and bring out a second game uh, and uh, and what rose to the top was this idea of, of, of being able to do stealth um, really really properly and leaning into that idea um, uh, like you, I love all those uh, classic old war films, um, but also um, uh, quite a lot of computer games in you know entirely different genres, like uh, um, like cyberpunk and things, all, all things like that, where you, where you're creeping around and there's a bit of stealth in the game and the guards don't know where you are. Um, but then it usually ends up in a big gunfight, and that—that's really exactly the scene I wanted to put on the tabletop. Um, so, uh, 
yeah, it all really stemmed from that idea of how how I can do uh, creeping around really on the table and 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 a re- really really do stealth justice. Now that's one of those mechanics that we've seen occasionally in other game systems, but has been maybe rarely done right because oftentimes it's a bolt on to a game, not the focus of the game. And I find that really intriguing that this is the main focus of this. And so all of the mechanics in the game lead to that, that stealth element, not just here's a little stealth scenario that you can play a a regular tabletop battle game with. Well, yeah, the, so I, as you say, often, often it comes down to, uh, you know, if, if it's a night fight, so the two, oh, 200 hours, we should say, is it's called that because it's all about, it's all always set at night. Um, uh, and the two sides start the game not knowing where, where the other models are. Um, and as, as you say, in, in most games, that's often done, night fighting is often done with just a, a roll to, for, to see how far you can shoot, that that is quite a com- common way of doing it, um, but that doesn't really really prevent it doesn't really allow you to do anything properly sneaky within the game. Um, if you send some some guys round the flank to try and uh, jump out behind everyone, well the other player can see you and they can react and move mm-hmm. their guys. Um, uh, so I wanted to be able to get all those elements into the game. Um, the first thing that, that that kind of started to make that work was was using the dice. So I wanted to make sure uh, every action you were rolling some dice, including moving. Um, and one of the dice faces being a, a bad result where you get spotted or heard um, and that that core original core idea was simply the more the more dice you rolled so if you were running really fast you'd run lots of roll lots of dice uh, you'd be more likely to get get heard or spotted mm-hmm. um, and that's that's evolved quite a lot but that was the little spark that that uh, kicked off the the game design um, and started things working in my mind um, the second key thing was having uh, a lot more limitation on how people move, um, particularly for the the defenders. So in the game, there's always an attacker and a defender. Um, so you can have your your SAS, your commandos sneaking forward through the dark, um, and the defenders have uh, sentries going around on set patrol routes, which you work out at the beginning. Um, uh, but the the idea that you don't necessarily get to move your guys where you want them to go, um, you may know that that the, the other the other guy is uh, sneaking around behind that building, but your but your soldiers don't, um, and particularly in a, uh, in kind of historical senses, those sentries guarding the rear echelon defenses weren't weren't crack troops right um you know they're it's in the middle of the night they're probably sleep deprived um 
a lot of them were uh, coerced into fighting. They were from various countries that had been invaded and, and occupied, and they were coerced into to joining into the army. Uh, so, so yeah, they're not necessarily going to run towards the shooting. They're not necessarily going to move where you where you really want them to, um, and that's quite a. Uh, I think a, a, fair, a fairly unusual thing to find in a game that you don't have full control about over where to move your guys. That's interesting. Now, I know from reading into the game a little bit that this is generally a you-go-I-go system, but what makes it really different is that both players don't move equally, as in you-go-I-go between units, not entire armies moving. What makes it interesting is that the defender, uh, as the, and there is sort of alert levels for the defender's forces, as the defender's forces are sort of all relaxed and maybe even bored on patrol, they are forced to activate more of their models earlier in the turn, and that leaves the attackers to uh, move forward after the defenders have gone on their patrols. And so they're able to respond to where they're moving and those search patterns that you mentioned before. Really in interesting stuff. But as, as that alert level starts to go up, then all of a sudden, fewer of those defenders on patrol are all of a sudden activating, which means you're back to almost one versus one activations. And that's where things get really really interesting isn't it yeah things gradually change you have as you say you have um uh the defenders start off calm and then become suspicious and 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 you have a little more control over what they do uh and then ultimately the alarm goes off um all the reserves rush on well hopefully they'll rush on they might not mm -hmm. rush at all um uh and you have uh a reasonable amount of control once the alarm goes off. You still can't just move wherever you want. Um, you still react to the enemy soldiers that you've located. Um, so even towards the end of the game, when there's normally a big firefight kicking off, you can still, if you've got, if the attacker's got some guys that are still covert, you can still do some sneaky stuff even at that point. Um, so um, one of the other things that was a, a big breakthrough in terms of the game design um, and came quite late on actually was to give the models a facing. So um, they everyone has a, a front and a back kind of if you imagine a line going through the shoulders of each mm -hmm. model, um, and that opened up a lot of opportunities to for the. Uh, the SAS to be sneaking behind the sentry as he as he went on his patrol um, uh, without being spotted. Uh, they get um, obviously there's a big big advantage if you attack from behind, um, with your with your a, a combat combat knife attack to to do a silent takedown um, if you can work your way behind and attack, um, and. Uh, but nevertheless, there's still the still a chance that sentry will turn at just the wrong moment and, mm -hmm. and catch you. So you can never have a guaranteed success. 
that success is determined using the dice that you mentioned earlier. Now, you did mention that when you were first developing the game, that actions resulted in rolling a dice, and that when you rolled the dice, it increased the chance that people would see you, uh, as in the defenders, the sentries would see the attackers. But over time, you've developed that, and now there's two color dice, sort of one for sneakier activities and one for more blatant blasting away with a gun or setting off explosives type activity. Because I think, as I've heard you say in other places, it's uh, as loud as someone runs, it'll never be as loud as a Bren gun. Yes, quite. quite. Um, so, yeah, as you say, we ended up um, having, uh, well, quite quite early on, I realized it, it wasn't quite working as is. So I introduced um, a second dice. So what the, there's a white dice, which is kind of for noisy stuff, and a, a grey dice for stealthy, quiet stuff. Um, usually, pretty pretty much, you're always rolling at some combination of both. So even if you're um, uh, doing a sneak move, um, which is what the the SAS will be doing a lot of, uh, they they'll roll a couple of the grey dice, but they'll still always be rolling at least one of the, the noisy white dice. So there's always an outside chance that they'll step on a step on a twig and, mm-hmm. and make a load of noise or suddenly sneeze. Um, whereas, as you say, if you're firing a, a Tommy gun, you just straight straight in with the three white dice. Um, so high chance of getting spotted, but again, not not guaranteed um because you know it's still dark um still no lights the i've talked i've talked to people who you know in the forces who've experienced stuff like this and you know the noise bounces around in a in a particularly in a built-up areas um and besides the first thing you do when you when when shots ring out is not just peer out to see where it came from exactly (laughs) right it's definitely not the first your first reaction um so so yeah even even when you're shooting gun you don't you can get away with it sometimes if you're lucky and not get spotted so if i understand this right there are sort of two levels of um being seen or being observed by the defending forces one is sort of at an individual model level, which is what you were describing a minute ago, where they're like, oh, who was shooting at me? Where's that coming from? Versus sort of the overall situational awareness of the force as a whole. And what we talked about earlier with as that sort of that level of awareness of that there are people attacking us goes up, um, you're able as a player to to it changes the way you activate your forces. So um, how do those two levels sort of interact on the tabletop? In terms of the individuals, you everyone starts off covert. It's called, um, which means the other side don't doesn't know where you are, um, uh, and then at some point you'll get you'll get probably will get spotted, um, and and we and we put down a counter next next to the model to to show that that the enemy now have a reasonable idea that someone's over in that in that direction um you know they've they've seen some shadowy movement or or heard a cough or whatever not 
it doesn't immediately know that that's they're under attack because you know that just might be one of their guys wandering around um but that will in turn um then we have a the overall a tracker for the overall alarm level uh and spotting that individual guy will make that alarm level track up um it is possible for those individuals to get lost again and, and disappear into the dark. So it's possible to, to lose that counter. Um, so particularly for the S, they have the, the SAS have a, a, a freeze ability, which <laughs> allows them to forgo all their movement and just stay still and hope and hope they don't get spotted. Um, uh, so yeah, so you have the overall alarm alarm level tracking up. Um, uh, occasionally it goes down a little bit as well but on the whole it's generally going up obviously if, if a gun is, is fired it goes up fast or if something explodes it goes up very fast mm -hmm. um, and when you get to certain levels um, the, the, the alarm is eventually raised um, so that's really the system um, you have the counters we're called alert counters for individuals and the uh, an alarm track for the overall level nice now we were talking about the dice a second ago and i can't help but notice that just like test of honor you're using bespoke dice for this game can you describe what the symbols on the dice do because you've got some cool ones in there a lot of military ranks yeah so um the the the, the stats in the game um, uh, rather than a one, two, two or three, um, I've used uh, chevron. So if you imagine like a sergeant stripes, um, and it's uh, one, two or three chevrons, uh, depending on your stats from one to three. Um, the dice have those same symbols, one, two or three symbol, three chevrons on the different faces. Um, so when you roll your dice uh if your stat is uh one uh one chevron then all the one chevrons you've rolled are successes but twos and threes are failed um whereas if your if your stat is three then one one two and three are all successes for you so is that how you differentiate uh, abilities for troops? For example, highly trained troops like the SAS versus yeah. maybe some conscripted goons who are have been dragged across six countries and are standing outside uh, in the freezing rain, hoping that their guard duty ends soon. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, sentries will have mostly ones for their stats. SAS mostly twos for their stats. Uh, and characters just start to go up to threes in different places. Um, it's not a massive range because they're all men at the end of the day. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how uh, that differentiates. Uh, and those chevrons are also used for direction. Um, so there's, particularly for the defenders, there's quite a lot of times where... Uh, you don't know necessarily where they're going to go. Um, so you roll your dice and all those chevrons that are successes 
So again, that depends on um, how well trained and uh, that particular model is. All the all the chevrons that are successes, you can choose between those for which way you go. Well, obviously, this is a narrative-driven game. This is very much a scenario game. Now, from what I understand, the basic rules comes with eight separate scenarios, be it, be they sabotage, be it uh, you know kidnap someone and get away with it, deliver a message, something along those lines. Um, can you talk to us about maybe some of the scenarios that I haven't mentioned? Maybe talk to us about... What, what is your favorite scenario out of the bunch? Do you have one? Is that kind of like asking you to pick who's your favorite child? <laughs> yes, that is tricky. <laughs> um, so, yes, as you say, there are kind of more sim simpler missions. Are, there's one called Butcher and Bolt, which is essentially ambush the other side, try and take out as many guys as you can. Um, pretty much all of them end with you trying to get off the table again or for the SAS to get off the table again um, as you say sabotage uh, is blowing up lots of things um, uh, there's a capture one where you're trying to um, take out a, a high ranking officer and drag him away um, there's also uh, the final, the final mission is to take out uh, an anti-aircraft gun during an air raid. Wow. Um, so that's quite different because um, every time the anti-aircraft gun fires, then actually you can sneak around with a bit more impunity because everyone's mm -hmm. ears are ringing. Um, so if you can time your time your moves just after the gun's fired, then you, you have a bit more chance of getting away with it. Um, at the same time, the bombs are dropping, buildings are blowing up. Um, so there's a lot going on with that one. Uh, there's also a nice little um, uh, rule that I put in, which is, doesn't doesn't have to go with a specific scenario. Um, but the idea that you've in, managed to infiltrate the other side in disguise, so one of the sentries is actually an attacker. Uh, and you know which one that is. Um, but the defender doesn't know which of his sentries is actually yours. Uh, so at some point you'll ha you'll have to reveal him um, and try to use that to your advantage. Oh, that's brilliant! It just reminds me of uh, where eagles dare, right? Where you're not sure who's on yeah. whose side, right? Fantastic. So, yeah. I I have not mentioned this before, but it should be mentioned that this is a game that involves somewhere between five and twenty mi miniatures. I did mention that that was Test of Honor and that this was a similar size. But that is the scale for this. Like Test of Honor, you're playing this on a 3x3 three three size table. And it is two people against one another. It is not a cooperative game, nor is it a solo game. Given the, the era of COVID and the advent of lots and lots of solo games, was it tempting to shift this to something a little bit more AI-driven? Um, or did you want to keep it that, that, that element of... Uh, two players trying to uh, outdo one another on the tabletop. Um, yeah, that, I mean that has come up a lot, and it's it's um, it has affected the, the the development of the game in kind of practical terms of not being able to play this with other people. Um, but the the game as as presented is definitely a 
two players versus each other. Um, so, yeah, I was quite aware that um, the defenders still needed to have a, a, fun, a fun time and enjoy the game. Um, so they have, even even from the world, word go, they're still making roles to uh, try and spot the enemy. There's decisions to make which, which way you're going to turn and look. Um, and they'll, obviously, and that will gradually grow throughout the game as they get more aware of who they're fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the other element for defenders is uh, some of the cards, which uh, we haven't really talked about yet, but um, the defenders get what are called event cards. Um, so these cover uh, kind of unusual things that the defense, defenders might do to to catch out the enemy. So you can play a card which suddenly changes the directions of all, of all your sentries and start patrolling the other way around, and which which could mm-hmm. uh, really catch out the attackers. Um, you can suddenly, you know, your a sentry might suddenly take two actions at once and or get go particularly fast or stop for a cigarette. Um, there might suddenly be a, a searchlight switches on and starts hunting for you. Um, so there's uh, things like that, and those cards are kind of played as a, a kind of gotcha and to, to interrupt the the attacker's turn. Um, there's also just random unlucky events like you suddenly sneeze or the moon comes out from behind a cloud and it's suddenly a bit brighter, uh, all kinds of things like that. And for the purposes of the game, the defender gets to decide where, when those things will happen. Um, again, trying trying to, to play those cards and use them to, to their best advantage. Um, so there's there's a lot going on with, with those cards and that adds to the story a lot. And... Uh, gives the defender a lot of uh, fun decisions to make. My favorite one of those cards that I've heard you talk about is the card that says something along the lines of, it's a trap. And it turns out that the whole thing was a clever ruse to get the attackers to attack, and the defenders have been waiting for them the whole time. If that isn't like every other episode of the A-Team or some (laughs) other 80s television show, I don't know what is. It's brilliant. I love it. Yes, so that, that that's a quite an unusual one, but yes, that one that one entirely changes the objectives for for both sides. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's there's there's lots of just little little fun things like that. There's one where um, if a uh, so the defenders can have guard dogs, guard, handlers walking around with guard dogs, mm-hmm. uh, and um, usually if if you kill the handler then the, the dog just disappears and runs off but there's a card you can play to have the dog go crazy and start savaging everyone near near, near him on either side i've got to say the model that i've seen of the german shepherd with the german sentry i haven't wanted a dog i haven't i don't think i've ever wanted a dog model full stop but let alone that bad like this badly it looks amazing and to, to have the effect of you know sentries with guard dogs and pistols on the tabletop is just awesome. So cool. Well, yeah, so that, I mean, the the plastic models that we've done, so they, they're plastics, 
uh, in the box, which we've not done before. Um, uh, we've had them made in partnership with War Games Atlantic. Uh, and they are, so there's multiple plastics for the SAS and for the German sentries. Uh, and I say the German, uh, the German sprue has has two different dogs on it actually so so there's going to be plenty of dogs available mm -hmm. um, there's also um parts so you can make uh the sentries into fell gendarmes which are the german military police um so all those have slightly different stats in the game um your standard sentries are kind of soldiers so they're pretty good at shooting um, whereas the Feld gendarmes are better at spotting you in the first place, but not so good at shooting. Um, and the, the dogs are a little bit different. They can, they're not so limited if you're behind them. So the dogs can spot you, can sniff you out, even if you're trying, trying to sneak behind. And so all those three uh, have slightly different abilities. So again, you've got some things to play with in, in choosing your force. Now, you've mentioned the new plastic SAS models, and man, both the Germans and the SAS look fantastic. But you might be thinking, hey, I already have a bunch of SAS models. But looking at these plastics, do you have one that has a, sort of the plunger for an explosive in his hand and a knife in his teeth? Or do you have one that's sort of kneeling with a knife and sort of crawling along the ground? Or another one with a silenced pistol or, you know, the sniper, the all sorts of submachine guns, Bren gun, rifles. There's just so many fantastic uh, modeling opportunities with these SAS. I am, yeah, I, again, I have a lot of SAS models and I'm looking at these going, oh, I need these. These look great. And... That is a that's a fairly big statement coming from someone who owns so many World War II models, and I know what a lot of the listeners are as well. Fantastic work. Yeah, it's, it's obviously World War II. It's tricky to find a niche um, and uh, do something that, uh, as you say, that everyone hasn't got already. Um, so I tried really hard with breathing the plastics to kind of do that so yes the SAS are um, particularly focused on you know a more sneaky looking looking poses um, rather than just kind of rushing forward uh, a lot of them there aren't that many fire, firing weapons poses a lot of them are carrying and running and you know crawling along as you say um, and equally with the the sentries um, um, they are not just normal German soldiers. Mm -hmm. If you look at the bolt-action plastics, they're always running forward and firing and advancing. Um, the sentries, a lot of them are simply standing or just strolling along, lots of guns slung over shoulders, um, uh, like saluting, standing to attention with the gun down by your side, things like that. Um, I would think um, by the time this goes out, the, the, there'll be lots more photos of those around as well. So I'll be, I'll be, I'm about to show them off very soon. Brilliant. We could talk about the plastics all day, but that's only part of what is coming in this game. 
uh, in the short run, not let alone the long run. But let's talk a little bit about the metal add-on characters that match the plastics, but added some really cool characters. I really like the haughty German officer and uh, who's sort of strutting around almost like a commandant. And of course, we have the sinister Gestapo guy in the black leather trench coat with the black hat, circa Raiders of the Lost Ark, plus some really cool commando models. There's just character dripping off of these models. Clearly, you put a lot of time into thinking about what characters you would have. I'm assuming these line up with different personalities that might appear in some of the missions. Yeah, so there's... um, How we're going to do it is the the main starter set will just have the plastics, um, and then there will be uh, an expansion set focusing on the British with a few few more of the plastics, but with some alternate metal heads Mm -hmm. uh, and the five metal characters that you've mentioned. And a load more cards as well, um, so to give those guys even more character. Um, and as you said, there's the the female SOE agent who's inspired by you know various things. Um, bit of Agent Carter in there, mm-hmm. um, but also um, you know partisans from uh, some of the characters from Guns of Navarone, things like that. Brilliant. Um, there's the downed RAF pilot um, who can you can use as an objective in some of the missions, but he can be just part of your force. Um, so immediately you can you can see how the games can start to tell a story. So you could play the first mission to to kind of rescue this RAF pilot, and then he becomes part of your force after that and goes on to help you. Um, there's a uh, a demolition expert checking his watch, waiting for the mm-hmm. for an explosion to go off. Who's um, and then we're doing the same trick with the Germans, so there'll be a set for them as well. Um, and as you say, there's the Gestapo, there's the Commandant, there's a disgruntled wounded officer who's been <laughs> sent back from the front to <laughs> to guard this poor. Uh, Guard this facility and he's really bored but he's mm-hmm. actually quite a good fighter but he's going along with a walking stick um uh there'll be a um there's a german scientist <laughs> which again uh, can can join your force or again makes a, a great objective mm-hmm. um and that set again will have more cars and introduce loads of those cool event cards that we were talking about earlier Brilliant. Now, you did mention something that I wanted to circle back to. While we were talking about cards before, you talked a lot about the defending cards, the event cards, but let's talk about how cards are also used with the attackers because there's some great cards that give them additional gear and help them with different circumstances as the game goes. It's not just the defenders that get cool little cards that help to tell the story in these scenarios. Yes, that's right. So the attackers get... um Requisition cards, which give them more kit. So, um, as standard, your model can have a rifle, an SMG, or a pistol. Um, so, if you want something extra equipment on top of that, if you want to bring a Bren gun, you want uh, a, uh, a scoped sniper rifle, uh, if you want a silenced pistol, um, 
or if you want to bring demo charges with you or a radio, um, then you when you use one of your acquisition cards to do those to get those things and they cost extra points. Um, so um, it's a simple system to, to pick your army without worrying too much about nitty gritty of different points and things. Um, and then the attackers also get order cards and they generally either allow you to take two, um, for, for one model to take two turns immediately after each other. Uh, so you'd be able to sneak and then attack or spot someone and then shoot immediately. Mm. Um, or it allows two of your models to to make their actions immediately after each other so you can coordinate um, and have both guys shoot simultaneously or one one spots the enemy and the other one shoots at him. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I could see where chain activating models for the attackers in particular would be very useful in this game because then you can actually have models work together to grab a particular part of the objective. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it just allows you to do those occasional really heroic moments where you just, oh, I just need that extra push right now. Um, and And to... Again, it's the attacker's way of catching out the, uh, their opponent and doing something a little bit unexpected, a little bit more than they, they, you thought they would be able to do. Nice. Now, you've been talking about the British and the Germans, and we've sort of hinted at throughout this that 0200 hours to start with is roughly European-based. However, that's just what is in the box. The book itself actually gives you rules for a variety of nations, doesn't it? And it allows you to use models from from different places. Well, we've put um, we put uh, there's a little background section at the beginning, um, giving you a, an overview for people who are a bit newer to to World War Two stuff, particularly all the commando and special forces. Uh, just because there's a hell of a lot of different terms and, mm -hmm. and acronyms <laughs> and unit names flying around. Um, and we've covered uh, special forces for the Germans, the Italians, the Japanese, um, and all the different countries, you know, by the end of the war had, had these forces. Um, and fought in different areas of the world as well. So there was a lot going on in the desert, um, jungle raids, uh, and the game has scope to, to play all of those. Um, so the the starter set will focus, as you say, on specifically on the SAS and and the Germans and kind of a North European look. Um, but we'll be putting out just a an online army list, effectively a stat, stat lists, so you can immediately use your your own figures to to um, put them into different environments. Um, it, essentially, as simply as kind of swapping in different figures, and then ho hopefully down the line, if if everyone likes the game, then we'll start uh, bringing out you know expansion sets we want. Um, I know, for example, you could do some some desert raiding stuff. 
uh, and it's unique cards that hone in more specifically on that on that uh, particular area. Jungle fighting obviously works really well. Even even in daytime, jungle fighting is quite similar because mm-hmm. it's, it's a similar thing of having very uh, cut down lines of sight. Um, so that that works works brilliantly. So you could do the, the jindits and Japanese and uh, you know U.S. forces coming in. Um, that's probably another thing to mention is that like test of honor you can mix your forces absolutely any way you want um uh again this goes back to being inspired by films you if you want you can just go full military unit and just say i'm doing that unit um they're all they're all british they're all i don't know royal marine commandos i'm doing that um but if you want to take that more cinematic approach you can have an SAS guy and the downed RF pilot and some Americans that have joined them and some French partisans and they've all and I know an Italian who's defected and um, and literally come up with whatever combination you want because mm-hmm. there's always a cool story to justify that kind of thing. Well, I mean, just look at Guns of Navarone and Force Ten from Navarone, and you have yeah. exactly the scenario that you're talking about. Yeah, precisely. That's exactly where I'm coming from. Um, uh, where Eagles Dare is, is another one mm-hmm. that always stuck in my mind. Yeah. Now that is how that is more for the attacker side. The de- do the defenders have any leeway um, besides or in choosing what kind of sentries? You did mention there were more the gendarmerie, the basic soldiers, and the dog handlers. Are, is that where we're starting with the basics, or are there other troop types that they can utilize as well? Um, well, you would also have your, you always have characters, even the defenders will have character models as well. So you like to have a, a sergeant or two and an officer leading the force. Um, and again, There'll be there's so those metal characters that we mentioned already could happily be swapped in there. Uh, you can, as you say, have the the Gestapo could come in who he gives you even more nasty event cards, for example, to play with. They all do uh, slightly different special things. Um, and again, down the line, we could bring bring in uh, new models and new ideas. Um, it could be a you know a visiting Italian officer is there or you know there's lots of scope for different things. Absolutely, oh that's fantastic. Well, Graham, I I do have a question and it's one that I know I'm is going to get a lot of winces, uh, given the world as it is it exists now and shipping delays and logistics of putting together a game selling it and actually getting it out the door. I know that you're at the mercy of um, quite a few shipping companies at the moment, but what are we looking at as far as a release date for O200 hours? Because I'm not going to lie. I I want it now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So what's, what's happening is uh, everything, pretty much everything is ready. So all the, the rule book, the cards are all 
gone to, they're all at the printers being printed. Uh, the dice, dice are all done. There's huge <laughs> stacks of boxes sitting in my kitchen of dice right now. Um, uh, so the the main thing, well, the only thing now we're waiting on is that those plastic figures. Um, so how War Games Atlantic work is the the, the tool, the big metal mould that that you need for a plastic figure is made in China. Um, that's then flown over to America, where they actually do the production and make all the the, the hundreds of finished sprues. Um, and that, uh, and then those are getting shipped over to the UK, where we'll make the finished product. Um, the the tools have now finally, after a long wait, arrived in America. So they've just started making. Um, uh, but then we'll be once again, once they've done that, we'll be once again at the mercy of, as you say, international freight, um, try, trying to get them uh, shipped or flown over, over to the UK. So we're just looking at um, exactly how we're going to do that. Um, and how long that's all going to take, um, but I'm I am hopeful that uh, we're going to we're down to a, just a month or two now. Um, so you know keep keep an eye on the the Facebook group or uh, uh, sign up for sign up for the Grey for Now newsletter if possible because um, uh, things things will be happening very soon now. Now, I'm glad you brought up the Facebook group because the Facebook group has been um, a wonderfully integral part of the creation of this game. Um, you have gone not completely public with the entire process, but you have been interacting with fans of your games uh, and of the, this game idea for almost the entire process, um, which is genius and something we rarely see in uh, modern gaming as much as game companies are interacting with their fans online um, given the, uh, the challenges for you to play test this given you know COVID lockdowns and whatnot you have really reached out to your to your fan base and to people who are interested in this the development of this game and you've used their feedback in the creation of this can you talk to us a little bit about this process because Again, very innovative. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a, a big shift for me because I'm naturally a big control freak, and my instinct is not to show anything to anyone until it's completely finished and I'm happy. It's entirely perfect. Mm -hmm. um, however, as you say, lockdown had to change all that because all of a sudden I particularly because I couldn't play test with anyone. Um, uh, so I kind of made that decision that I, I was going to have to be much more uh, open with the game development. Um, so at quite a few, we put out quite a few um, uh, versions of the rules as, as we've gone along for people to read and try out. Um, and that's been challenging for people, people kind of creating all the little dice and using Sharpies to do all the symbols on their dice. Mm -hmm. um, but that's been a, a really good process. Um, and I think I think the end result is much better for it because I've got some really good feedback. 
Um, just, you know, just excellent stuff, which I said, yep, that, that, that works far better. I'm telling you that straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just been uh, really helpful. I think um, I think the game's a lot stronger for it. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's created a great community around the game even before we've launched, which is brilliant. That is brilliant. Do you feel like this is maybe a path you might travel again in the future, given that your natural druthers would be to sort of keep things back until you're really happy with them? Um, has this opened your eyes to a new way of doing things, or are you not sure about what future projects may hold? Um, no, I would, def- I would definitely do it this way again. Um, uh, they... The, the back of my brain is, you know, I always have, you know, half a dozen little, little ideas mm-hmm. whirring away in my, my brain. Um, and I would, I would generally get something, you know, reasonably working kind of reasonably before I, before I put it out in the world at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I would, I found that process uh, really helpful. Um, so I absolutely will be doing that again. Brilliant. Now, I have, of course, started mentioning your next project, but I think that totally discounts the fact that you have a very successful game system that people have been playing for years that is still going. I've been talking about Test of Honor as sort of the, the predecessor of O200 Hours, but let's talk about Test of Honor because... It is still it's it still has a very strong fan base. People are playing it more than ever, and you keep putting out new things for the game. Talk to us a little bit about where Test of Honor is as a game system, um, and what you're excited about with its future because it is <laughs> it's still going strong. Yeah, Test of Honor is still um, very important to me. I'm still working on new stuff for it. Uh, as prob- probably since I last talked to you, we put out the uh, Sengoku mm-hmm. book, which is a big expansion book um, with uh, rules for different clans, um, which has uh, added a lot of depth and detail to the game. Um, uh, there haven't been... Uh, inevitably, I've been a bit absorbed with the new game for re- recently, but... Um, we have got a new set in the pipeline for Test of Honor. Um, so if you, the, one of the first sets we put out was called The Unlikely Allies, uh, which is a, a, an eclectic mix of uh, mm-hmm. characters which can fight together or kind of be paired off and used in other forces. Um, and the new set is really taking that idea again uh, but as baddies. Um, so uh, I think it's going to be called something along the line of uh, rogues and ruffians. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have it's a mix of of Ronin and bandits and um, other ne'er do wells. Uh, and again, it's a it's a full. Every model is different. They're all all characters. Um, uh, and that should be coming within within two or three months, I think. Um, so they've just gone to be uh, 
for the moulds to start being made, the, the art's just been done, so that's that's well on the way in the pipeline. Um, and uh, yes, lots lots more ideas in my head uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for, for for more sets to come. There's pl- plenty more cool things that we can we can do for Test of Honor still to go. Nice. Well, Graham, I, I'm sorry to say our time is about up, but I have to say thank you so much for coming on today. Um, again, love your work, uh, both when you worked, you know, at GW and then Warlord, and now, you know, working on both Test of Honor and O200 Hours. You've just been creating so many wonderful things over the years, and to have you on is a real treat. Thank you so much for making the time. Uh, brilliant. It's been really good. Thank you. No worries. Now, guys. Go to Gray for Now Games. That's G R E Y, Gray for Now Games. And that is where you can get all your Test of Honor needs um, if you don't have another place to get them, like North Star or whatnot, or your local friendly game store. Uh, but when O200 Hours goes live and is being sold, it will be sold through grayfornow.com. Graham, anywhere else that people can find it? Uh, I I anticipating it being in, in lots of different uh, local stores. Uh, we have we have distributors in uh, America and as you say North Star in the UK. Um, uh, sadly, no nowhere in Australia that I know about at this point. Well, I'm trying to push for that to happen. Um, so hopefully we'll get something sorted. Well, the good news is Nick ships, uh, Nick at North Star knows my address. I know he ships me a lot of things. Looking forward to uh, picking it up through there, if not directly from you. Guys, I have been following this game online for a long time, and I hope that you have a chance to go to the Facebook page and check out the O200 Hours Facebook page. There's a wonderful community for this game that's already up. And you know when sometimes when you're like, oh, it's a new game, it isn't out yet, there isn't really much to see on their Facebook page, if there is even a Facebook page. This is a game that has a, a, a year's worth of content on its Facebook page. It's got a rich community, tons of people posting models and scenario ideas, and just talking about the game in general because they've been playtesting it or they've just been enjoying watching and interacting with the community. Go check it out. O200 hours, and that's zero two, and then using words, 100 hours. Go check it out. It is an awesome community. I've been a part of it for, God, almost since the start, and I really enjoy the posts. Highly recommend. And while you're there, please go to the Cast Ice Facebook page, and if you have any questions or requests for episodes, you liked what we did here today, or you would like me to talk to someone who's created another game, please message the page. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Message the page. You're guaranteed response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Uh, Just remember, I occasionally sleep when I am not working, so it may take a couple hours for me to get back to you, particularly if you're not in Australia because we are on the other side of the world. But, Graham, again, thank you so much for your time today, and I really look forward to playing this in a way that I cannot describe in words. I'm so excited. (laughs) So I guess that takes us to what our old buddy Casey always says. When you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys.
Good night. And that's right.